Hey guys, welcome back to, I guess, a unique, it's not, it's not, I guess, a a unique uh, episode of The Overcomers. Um, uh, Unique really for a couple of reasons. One, uh, I am, I am feeling terrible. So I've got, uh, I don't know, man, I've I've been tested for the Rona and for um, the flu and for strep and I'm fine, but I'm not fine. And so I'm going to be sipping tea while I interview my friend Richmond here. Um, and then the second thing that's unique is this is the first time we've really kind of done it this way. We've usually been in the room t- with one another, and then I've had long histories with the people I've interviewed. So Richmond and I have some history, not a long history, certainly not as intimate as some of the other people that we've interviewed here on The Overcomers, but uh, but man, wanted to to sit across from Richmond, Richmond digitally uh, and get him to tell you a little bit about his story. And so I, I'm curious at how um, it will land on you in this episode because his background is going to be probably a lot different. Well, I know for sure it's been a lot different than anyone else I've interviewed up until this point. Very different um, from from my own upbringing and my own. So uh, Richmond grew up in the Naguru slum, uh, which is in Uganda. And so um, Richmond, would you would you share with us a little bit about what it was like growing up there in Naguru? Thank you so much, Matt. I've been so looking forward to time with you and with your listeners. And it's a joy uh, to be here. Matt, I grew up in Naguru, but that's not where it all started for me. I come from a fairly large family of six siblings. I had a father who was a very hardworking man and a mother who never went to school, married off as a teenager. By the time my mother was 25 years old, she already had six children. And she just stayed home to take care of us as my father went out to work. My father was a very, very, very fun dad. Um, I recall days of him coming at home and all six of us trying to hug him at the same time. That was a riot, I tell you. And one day he came up with this brilliant idea that he was going to try to hug us all at the same time and try to lift us up. And I wish, he, I wish the story was that he succeeded. He didn't. <laughs> he did not succeed. And my mother, just standing across the floor, uh, could just look and just shake her head at the lunacy of it all. And I recall some fun days with my dad and just the sense of security and the sense of knowing that I have a future and I'm walking into it. But Matt, all that was shattered when I was eight years old. My father, Stephen, My father was murdered in the presence of my mom. Oh, man. And uh, that day, it seemed like I'd lost both parents. My mother, who was a very bright, energetic, um, wordy lady, she just turned completely. To take a word out of her took a lot of effort. After we lay my father to rest, all lights went out. It felt like the sun was blacked out. It felt like a dark cloud had come over us. And uh, that's when it happened for me, Matt. We were moved out of our home and ended up in this slum community called Naguru. Naguru was no ordinary place. If you can imagine this, Matt, 19,000 homes, 45,000 people living in less than two square miles. I mean, it was just home after home, house after house. And when I use the word home and house, 
I don't mean as it would be in the United States. We're talking about a 10 by 10 shante. And that's where six of us were living. And then just the defeat on the children's face, because many of them were not in school. Many of them had seen their children, fellow children die. Many of them were not sure they were going to live until the next day. And so to come from the life I was used to into the life in Naguru was a complete switch. And it explained why my mother was sick most of the time. And so the day came when I began visiting the street because I was no longer in school. My mother had made the big, big announcement that there was no money for food. And so we had to survive. We had to grow up. As an eight and a half year old, by that time, I began acting as a 13 years old. And soon as an 18 year old, uh, oftentimes I think people read of child headed homes or child children taking responsibilities that belong to adults. And sometimes yeah. they just read of it and gloss over it. And they, people cannot connect to that. They can't relate to that. But Matt, I experienced that. At the age of eight and a half, I began to take care of my sister Doreen and my other sister called Sharon. And we used to go on the street and I used to fight. I used to defend. I used to do everything to make sure she was safe. And that's why I'm passionate about children being free from such injustice, being free from yeah. such weight. And so that was my life for many, many years until I encountered compassion. Okay. And so you're in the Naguru slum and then how, like, how do you, how do you find compassion or how do they find you? Well, so compassion works through the local church and my family was not in church. We didn't believe in God. And after my father's death, that drove us even farther away from the concept and the idea of a loving God. But my mother, when she realized how desperate things had gotten and how many kids were dying in the slum, she realized that if help doesn't come, she would bury us one by one. We wanted to live. And she knew that. She wanted us to live. So she went asking around. And her friends said to her, there is a church across the community. Compassion works through this local church to support children. You go there. I know there are already so many kids there, but you go. You try. You tell them your story. If they help you, good. If they don't, at least you've tried. Matt, that's exactly what happened. My mother went and she was her first time in a church. And she was shocked. She was shocked by the love she received. And at that time, she did not know that these were compassion workers because there was no big sign that said compassion. It was just yeah. the church. And, and many years later, now I see that it's actually embedded within compassion's philosophy to make sure that the local church is the hero. Yeah, that's the way to and, do it. And I tell you, Matt, that was transformation for me later on in life. And so I, I got to, uh, to, to meet David, who worked for Compassion at the time. I, we just thought as a family that he worked for the church. And so David comes to home with this big camera and a file, and we begin to take our, uh, put, <laughs> to give him our information. And Matt, I remember standing there for that photograph. Uh, 
I do, I asked David to take so many photographs of me because for me, it just felt <laughs> like my life had begun to change already, even before sure. finding a sponsor. And Matt, three and a half months later, I got the news. I got the news that I had been sponsored. And if you can transport yourself in your mind to this African village, which celebrates with the loudest ululation and drums and dancing <laughs> possible, and narrow that to one family. That's exactly what happened to my home. There's no words in English to describe the Come dancing on. and the rejoicing that filled our home at the news. Because, Matt, we had looked at other kids who were sponsored through Compassion, and we knew what that meant for them. These yeah. kids have access to education. They have access to food. They have access to health care. When the schools in Uganda, which are mostly private schools, are sending kids home to, to find school fees, these kids from Compassion just sit with such peace over them because they know that their school fees is taken care of. And Matt, I was going to be one of those kids now. Yeah. And so my mother, she just went off and we were rejoicing and dancing. And <laughs> she did, ah, la, 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 la. it is a very popular sound <laughs> in Uganda. Yeah. And so there we were now, and I was invited then to go to this church. But walking into a church for the first time, it was surreal. It was strange. But then the smiles that I saw. And Matt, Pastor Peter, who was the senior pastor of that church, and this is a church that had grown significantly after Compassion had partnered with it. Pastor Peter told me that my sponsor, listen to this, Matt, my sponsor was a 15-year-old girl. Ha, I love that. <laughs> I mean, my mom almost fell off the chair. She's like, there's just no way a 15-year-old has the maturity to step into the fight of justice. There's no way yeah. a 15-year-old can, can do this, can just make such an adult decision. And that was my story, Matt. A 15-year-old girl called Heather, she had taken a babysitting job. And from that, she was sponsoring me. And how Come one on. act changed my life. Yeah. The $43 a month she was sending, they took me back to school. They provided food for me. They provided my health care for me. My number was UG129 forward slash 0064. I can never forget <laughs> the number. Matt, I was told any time I fell sick, I didn't need to run to the church or to the compassion office. No, I ran to any hospital in the community and I just said that number. They would verify that I was a sponsored kid. They would treat me and then they would send me off saying, don't worry about the bill. Come on. Matt, I could look into my future and say, here I come. I immediately felt as an overcomer there and then. Come and on. Matt, that story became true for my sister as well, because my sister got a sponsor couple from Australia, Don and Julie Thompson. We would never forget this, these individuals because we, we began later on praying for them as though they were part of our family. And Matt, long story short, I went back to school. And today I'm an accountant. But I'll tell you what happened to me spiritually. Because for me, breaking free from financial poverty is not the end of the story. Because I know people who are financially free, 
but they are still as broken, as independent, as poor as can be. And so for me, holistic development or holistic transformation was my biggest gift. Because, Matt, at the age of 14, Pastor Peter, who was the senior pastor of the church, pleaded with us concerning the gospel. And that day I gave my life to Christ and I became the first Christian in my home. Come on. By the time I was 16, Matt, all five of my brothers and sisters had come to know the Lord. And by the time I was 19, my mother, who had struggled with her love for God, had questions about God, came around. She invited herself to the, my church, sat at the back, and as Pastor Peter preached the gospel, I can never forget this. It's just like it happened yesterday. My mother walks forward. She kneels down and gives her life to Christ in tears. Matt, and praise, my whole family changed. Exactly the next Saturday, I wrote to my sponsor, Heather, and I said to her, look, Heather, I thank you that because of your generosity, because of your sacrifice, I got to school, I had food, I had a mosquito net, and my health was taken care of. But here's the thing. I thank you that my family forever, not just in this life, but for all eternity, is not the same. And to think that one act that you did in faith has made this possible, I just want to thank you. I just want to hug you. And uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, uh, my story with Heather has only become more and more beautiful with time. So this is what God did for me, Matt. That, I, I would love to hear, Richmond, um, you, you've had some, like, especially I think for listeners in the West, you, you've had, I think the scale's probably different, but you've had some significant traumatic moments uh, yeah. in your life um, from, uh, you know, your dad being murdered in front of your mom. And then, you know, per your testimony, um, you, you were, you, you found yourself in some violent situations and having to step in and, and play the man defending your sisters for years. And um, I, I would love to hear a little bit about, like, as you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, how, um, how you might have had to wrestle with those things or how the Holy Spirit healed you in some ways uh, of those things because they're not you, you know you bring your you bring your whole life as it was into your relationship with Christ and so yeah. yours was marked by some significant violence um both as you were a recipient of it uh and it sounds like you handed a little bit of it out uh and so I'd love to hear after after you become a Christian at this church that uh, pastor Peter's proclaiming the gospel at can you talk a little bit about uh, I know you're you're fed and you got the mosquito net and you got and, and all of that's that's my favorite thing about compassion is how holistic they are. That's why we've been Lauren and I've been sponsoring kids for 20 years. But um I, I would love to hear just in your own personal journey um how the Lord ministered to you in healing some of that violence and healing some of that heartbreak um that you experienced, especially as a as a as a little kid who really was forced in some ways to become the man of the house. Well, thank you, Matt. That's such an important question. You're right in saying the streets changed me. They impacted me. They robbed my dignity. They robbed my self-esteem. 
being in poverty and facing poverty just attacked me on the inside. And Matt, maybe even for our listeners, it's so important to understand that most people have a skewed view of poverty because they describe poverty in very physical terms. They say poverty is the lack of food. Poverty is the lack of water. Poverty is the lack of warm clothes, lack of a roof over one's head. They describe that as poverty, but I know that poverty is darker than that. In fact, it is true, as one person once said, that if you can take a picture of it, that's not poverty. For me, poverty was like a voice. It spoke to me saying, you are nothing. You do not matter. Your circumstances will never change. You have no reason to dream. You are ugly. And and here's the thing. There, there, There is not a full lie without an element of truth to that because I was on the streets. My eyes were constantly bloodshot. My hair was the worst kind or quality of hair you can possibly imagine. My stomach was extended. And so when the poverty said to me I was ugly, there were some things to back that word up. And so, so for me, I, I wrestled on the inside. And then the, all the tremendous things that I had to go through, the, the violence and, and uh, the, the abuse that I endured, many years now, uh, I'm now in compassion. I have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. But on the inside, there is work to do. And the Holy yeah. Spirit used two powerful avenues for my redemption. The first one was his word. Matt, I received my first Bible of the Compassion Project. And I began to read that word. And I began to engage with my friends concerning the word. I listened to Pastor Peter preach from that word. And as I read about the love of God for me, just as I was, that was the first breakthrough and probably the most significant breakthrough. And I would say that anyone who reads the word and ends up having a biblical, a truly biblical worldview will find healing, some bit of solace from the word because we see that we are broken, we are lost. And if God counted our sin and visited those sin upon us, we would not stand. And we all messed up, probably more messed up than we probably imagined. But then there is that powerful redemptive word that I received. And that was the first breakthrough. But Matt, when we talk about the Holy Spirit working and changing our lives, He doesn't come in physical form because He's a spirit, but He will use individuals. And for me, He used Pastor Peter greatly. In fact, Pastor Peter became the father that I did not have. That's why for me, the role of pastors and leaders and spiritual leaders and influencers is so crucial because God uses them to set people free. And so for me, Pastor Peter, whenever I was fighting at the Compassion Project, he would restrain me. He would push me on the side and say, Richmond, what's going on? Richmond, we love you. What's going on? And the more I heard someone say, we love you, say, you see me exactly as I am and yet you love me. Slowly but surely, Matt, God used men and women, especially Pastor Peter in my life, to calm me down, to, to drive that assurance home in me. And that's why I, I, he's my hero, I tell you. He's my spiritual father, but he's my hero because he restrained me and helped me see that 
There is no reason to fight anymore, to be violent anymore, to, 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 to sustain the darkness that was on the inside of me. And, and so I, I've always wanted to be Pastor Peter to somebody. Today, that, yeah. that's all I live. I, I try to pay it forward. And as president today of Pastors Discipleship Network, that's what I drive into most of the pastors that are under my ministry. I said to them, pastors, your role is more important than you can possibly imagine. You're an agent of light pushing back darkness in children, in teenagers. Satan has a hold of many people's minds. People are mentally struggling. They're physically struggling, emotionally struggling. And as pastors, man, you have an open door permission from the individuals, voluntary permission to step into their life and push back darkness. And for me, Pastor Peter did that for me. So uh, that's a long answer, but I think I would summarize that, that how I overcame some of the darkness that had made it into my soul was through reading the word diligently Amen. and almost yeah. obsessing in there, but then also just accepting people to enter my life and help me, particularly Whoa. Pastor Peter. Well, these are like what you're bringing up isn't uncommon on the overcomers. It, like, like it's a pretty consistent theme that um, the scriptures begin to shape and mold someone's understanding of the situation they're in or uh, the Holy Spirit ministers to people deeply through the scriptures. I'm thinking of Boston's episode and the Young's episodes. Like, and, and then this idea of um, others coming alongside of us. Uh, to help in God's healing process also is a theme. So you're saying things that, yeah, I mean, here you are in Uganda, Africa, and you're saying things that a 19-year-old in the suburbs of Dallas is saying, and 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 this is how God brings his people through. Now, you, you, you said something a second ago. I'd love to, just for anyone listening, I, I would love for them to be able to hear. Um, you, you said that you are over a discipleship network of churches in Africa? Yep. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're seeing God do in Africa um, and talk about how the, the gospel's making headway there um, in Uganda. Thank you, Matt. What a great question. And so here I am, having graduated as, a, as an accountant, working my way up in KPMG, and I was very, very diligent uh, to help heal our corrupt country by training more ethical accountants. And so I ended up working at a university as an associate professor. I did that for a while. But Matt, I witnessed something that revealed the power of God to me that ended up pushing me onto a new track, which is becoming a pastor. And this is a very brief story, and I'll summarize it for you. My uncle, who should have protected my mother after my father was murdered, instead took advantage of my mother and our situation. And to say that we disliked him or hated him is an understatement. But many years later, when my mother came to know the Lord, here I am standing in a hospital, and I can't even believe this because my mother was taking care of my uncle, the person who she should have hated. Yeah. She was loving on him and turning him up because he was really down with cancer. He couldn't even turn himself. And two days before my uncle passed away, I saw my mother's hand in his hand, and she was leading him to the Lord. Come on. Matt, when I saw that, I said, look, my slum Naguru needs food, needs water, needs mosquito nets. But do you know what it really needs? It needs the gospel because it's the power of God. And from that time, I came back and I said to Pastor Peter, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a proponent of this message. What can I do? 
And long story short, Pastor Peter would then help me onto the path of becoming a pastor. And then the Lord opened the door for me to come to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Okay. To, to do my master's degree in spiritual formation and discipleship. <laughs> Matt, God has a great sense of humor. You know how hot my country is. <laughs> My country is yes. right on the equator. Yeah, and of all it ain't Chicago. in the country, God brings me to the windy city. It's almost Ooh. like, God, what did I do to you? <laughs> uh, but, but I was there for the years that I was. And I found that I was in the top 1% of pastors across Africa that had that level of training. And it was clear to me, Matt, that to whom much is given, much is required. And so I asked, well, how do I steward this training? And so that is when I founded in 2009 the Pastors Discipleship Network, which was an extensive platform to invite pastors to engage with what I had encountered at seminary. And I tell you, God began to blow that dream out of the park. I mean, it just became from 115 pastors to 2,000 pastors. And now, Matt, we are at 15,533 pastors across five nations of East Africa. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. And, 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 and as pastors, we are running to Pastors Discipleship Network to study, to get some seminary light training. I noticed that we had a big leadership gap as well. And so I ended up doing, uh, pursuing a PhD in philosophy of leadership from Lancaster Bible College and Capital Seminary. When I graduated, I started another wing, which was, yes, we were training theology, but now we were going to train pastors in leadership as well. And that just ended up adding like gasoline onto the fire because sure it did. just blew. And right now, we have been recognized as one of the leading voices in the whole of East Africa, bringing training to untrained pastors in order to deepen the church and advance the gospel through healthy churches. So, Matt, you ask me, what am I seeing right now? One of the things that I'm seeing that is positive is that worship in Africa is unabated has not faded at all, no matter how difficult things have gotten. We have learned to worship God from a difficult place. You find a pastor whose collar is torn, who is on the pulpit with the same gum boots he was with in the garden, <laughs> but he's yeah. jumping three, four feet off the ground and he's praising God, even though his family did not have food the previous night. Our worship is unabated. And I believe, Mark, that if there is one thing that the African church can teach the rest of the church around the world, is to worship God in difficult times. Yeah. That's I've one of the it. things I'm seeing. The yeah. other thing I'm seeing that is that it seems that we have entered a, a kind of season or dispensation where so many people are turning to the Lord. Just my church alone, the church that I lead called New Life Church, we saw in two weeks' time, in a two weeks' period, 1,046 souls coming to the Lord. Yeah, it's unbelievable. The, the, in Africa, we, 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 we can't explain what's going on, Matt, but there's just movement. But, but Matt, I think uh, switching hats to talk about some of the challenges we're facing is that before we clap our hands and before we rejoice, we are asking what's happening to those who are turning to the Lord and crossing the line of faith. The church in Africa is undiscipled. Many of the pastors right now have no training. Uh, the the uh, African Pastors Fellowship did a research and found that across sub-Saharan Africa, over 70% of pastors have no theological and ministry training. And 70% of that 70% will never attend Bible school in their life. So that's why I started Pastors Discipleship Network, Matt. 
so that we can bring training to untrained pastors who are at the front line, who are in difficult contexts, wanting to know things such as how do I disciple my people? How do I teach well? Some of these basic questions which are taken for granted in the West, but that's what we are looking for. And that's why uh, the conferences and the trainings that I'm offering across these five countries God is blessing that. And so many people in the West are joining me in bringing this training to untrained pastors. And so I'm very delighted that many, many years ago, one girl said yes to the Lord. Come on. And now the exponential impact is incredible. Yeah, I wish there was a way. I, I wish I had longer in a, in a different format to just give people uh, that are listening or watching this right now and, and understanding of the reach and power of new life and how God's gifted you and the work that you're doing and the immense fruitfulness of the ministry that really is just getting started. Um, and and all of this, it goes back, it, it, it blows my mind, it just goes back to a 15-year-old girl that started babysitting so so that she could so she could give sacrificially in a way that was bigger than herself, bigger than, you know, uh, whatever her drink was at Starbucks or whatever, you know, whatever clothing that might've been cool between her and her friends. And so um, for, for someone that's seen, um, you, you know, all that God is doing uh, in and around, not just your ministry there, but then in, in Africa, um, do you have, and, and then you, you, you travel to the West frequently, you've seen, you know, if you're looking at, at the West, um, the, the current script in the West um, is that, and I, know, I don't know how this will hit you, is that, you know, it's, it's really hard to be a Christian, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to redraw kind of historic Orthodox Christian lines around sexuality, uh, a lot of kind of tearing down of the sufficiency and authority of scripture. And that if, if you could just encourage us uh, today to maybe um, lift our eyes up to, or to consider, like if you had a message for us here in the West, um, you know, coming from your background with the things you've experienced. And that's why I'm always, you know, overcoming such an interesting thing to me because, uh, you know, I had brain cancer all those years ago and people will sometimes like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sick, but I'm not, I don't have what you had. And I'm like, well, that's okay. I mean, it's not like, like suffering's not, you know, it's, it, it is a bit relative in, in that you can have something that's a lot more minor than brain cancer and it'd still be pretty awful for you. Uh, and so it, Sometimes I, when I'm thinking about the West and I look at kind of our pain tolerance in the West, and then I lay that on what I know about our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and Africa and India and Asia, um, I'm like, guys, we're not, there's no persecution here. There's just, we just bother people. It's not, and there's no, um, yeah. So if you had a word just to encourage us in this moment, you you see us well, I think, what, what would you say to us? First and foremost, I'd want to say a big thank you to the church in the West. Everywhere I turn in Uganda, I see an impact. I see something good that's happening. And when you ask and inquire about it, you find that there is some connection to a church in the West somehow. Come on. And I just want to say thank you. All the Bibles that are being distributed in some of the most unreached places, it's because someone in the West has caught a vision. All the discipleship materials, 
that are being distributed. Every time I encounter them, someone in the West has caught a vision and they're pursuing it. So that's why I want to start, that the work and the stories that we're hearing in Africa in many ways are attributed to obedience for, yeah. by, by a church, a ministry, an individual in the West. You talk about compassion and what's happening in the lives of millions of children here. It's because someone has said, yes, Lord. And so in the midst of uh, the seeming darkness of a dark cloud over the West and uh, a, a certain uh, fading uh, of, of, of passion for Christ and uh, doubt and questioning that's happening, there is uh, an undercurrent of obedience. There are people who are encountering God personally, and they're walking in that, and, and the whole world is benefiting from that. So I wanted to start there. Secondly, I would say uh, that if a person who is listening to me today would lean into what's happening in Africa, they would see the following things. One, they would see the power of worship. They would see the power of the Word of God. They would see the power of prayer uh, and the power of fasting. There, there, there is something, Matt, that, that, that has just been fought in the West. I don't know why that is, but I think my few visits to the West, every time I'm, I'm asking about the spiritual discipline of fasting, the spiritual discipline of prayer, the spiritual discipline of the Word of God, uh, it, it seems like people have slid into... Uh, almost a comfort level faith or a comfort level Christianity. And um, God wants to be pursued. Uh, scripture says it, that you will find me if you search me out with all your heart. And I think that some of what we're seeing here, even the dreams and visions and encounters, is really because there is a hunger here. There, there, is, there is fasting as part of our life. Uh, prayer, my church, runs um, what we call prayer overnights. Every Friday uh, from 9 p.m. to 8 a.m. the next day, we, we are in church pursuing. There is, there is a, it's an element of pursuit in any relationship. I mean, let, let's forget pursuing God. Let's talk about pursuing each other. Every time a husband pursues the wife or the wife pursues the husband, that relationship is closer than it could ever be. And I think that all these avenues of grace that have been given to us as believers to pursue God the spiritual disciplines through prayer and fasting and the Word of God. For some reason, those have been marked as boring or they've been marked as not necessary anymore. They've kind of been uh, washed out because of comfort that has come in. But I think that if we stand again and remember the Puritans and remember the church history and remember how the disciples lived and read the book of Acts, we see there is a, a passion and a hunger there. And so... I believe that there must be an exchange, a collaboration of ideas and perspectives, both from the African church and the Western church, to see if there is anything in Africa that the church in the West can borrow. But I do know that a lot that's happening here is, is supported and um, uh, engineered or innovated from the West. And, and we are only beneficiaries from that perspective. But I don't want us to be just receivers. We, as Africa, have a lot to give. And part of There's what no I'm question. sharing is, is what, we, what, what I think we have to give. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, having been there multiple times, there is a zeal for the Lord um, that, that is found in pockets here, but uh, not, as, not as broadly, I think, as I've seen in Africa. And so, um, listen, if you're, if you're watching this episode or listening, um, 
and and maybe you're not uh, the lead pastor or but but you're just like you're just in your car and you're or you're on the treadmill or like I I just don't think the things we're seeing all over the world have to be checked in um, at you know at baggage claim when we get back to the United States. There's a reason why God is moving where he's moving. Um, my, my friend, uh, John Tyson says, God comes where he's wanted and, um, where there's a zeal for the Lord, which is what Richmond is talking about. He's talking about, gosh, every Friday getting, getting together to just pray and, and ask God to move and ask God to work. So I wonder what it would look like in your life. And I think this is a big part of what it means to be an overcomer what it would look like to find a, a small group of like-minded men and women who are just willing to, hey, we're gonna, let's come together. Let's pray through the Lord's Prayer tonight. It doesn't have to be like, you know, like midnight to 8 a.m. Just just find a block to come together and play some worship and, and pray over one another and for one another for a move of God in your church, in your neighborhood. Um, and and I think I, I love what Richmond's describing because it's not a complex, brand new thing. That's what the church has done across space and time. Um, she has submitted to the word of God as best she could by his grace. Um, she has worshiped him passionately and and his power has broken loose through um, fasting and prayer and worship and the word. Uh, I mean, these are God's good gifts to us. And so, um, Richmond, thank you so much, brother. It's been so good to reconnect here. Um, and I, I knew I, I knew we were going to talk about compassion, and uh, it's a good, right thing. Compassion's amazing. Like to to do what they do through a local church with no big sign out front, just like we're going to empower. The, it's just such a huge deal. Um, but then what God's done with you. Because I I didn't know you through compassion. I knew you through new life. And, yeah. and so that, that's why I was like, wait a minute. And so this is this is pretty amazing. And and I wanna I wanna say again, um the the fact that he here's Richmond, who's not only an accountant, pastor, but network leader, but all of this goes back, and this is just so the kingdom of God here. This goes back to a 15-year-old girl and forty three dollars a month. Um, and, and man, that, that's why Lauren and I have been all in on this for a while. And if you're one of our listeners, um, man, I don't, yeah, I'm, we, Lauren Chandler and I love us some compassion because of everything you're hearing in this episode. Uh, and, and Richmond, what a testimony of God's grace you are, um, his healing power you are. Uh, again, I've got a thousand more questions, but we're going to wrap up here. And so, uh, I know, um, you got family to get to. And so thanks for being with us on The Overcomers, brother. God bless you. Well, thank you so much, Matt. It's been such a joy. And I uh, can't wait for you to come to Uganda someday. <laughs> hey, got to get back for sure. <laughs>